Thank you for listening to this message. I trust that you are blessed by it. We have prayed that the Holy Spirit would use this message to inform, equip, and empower you. You can find out more about the ministry of Grace Chapel Assembly of God at gracechapelmagnolia.org on the web. If you'd like to learn more about the church or to help support our ministry, you'll find all that information on the website. God bless you. Isaiah chapter 40. Today, I did not read my text earlier. Transition from worship into communion. Um, but it was a great backdrop for where we're going to be going today in our sermon. So, um, we're not beginning 2020 this morning, uh, or 2020 vision. Uh, that sermon series, because frankly, um, in the past, I've often started sermon series on the first Sunday of January, and half the church isn't back yet. And so then they follow with sermon two or three or four, and they didn't get sermon one. So what I've done is waited another week this week, but uh, you are going to get something I think is really, really powerful and um, this morning, and so I look forward to that with you. And we're going to be looking primarily at verse 31, but that puts you ahead of where I am. So I want to make some comments as we begin. First of all, we had a great vacation. And uh, I'm glad that you did as well. Many of you traveled to Florida and uh, New Orleans and Louisiana and uh, all over the place for different types of things. And um, it is good to have you back. Many of you, your favorite teams, Clemson has won. And so uh, you are ready for the big game coming up, and uh, we're in the middle of uh, all that fun of football and and just uh, enjoying that together, and so we look forward to all these things that come with the January season. But it's good to be back and and, uh, excited about what 2020 has in store for us. Um, As I mentioned, I didn't intend to begin the sermon series this morning, but And that's a little difficult because on the first Sunday, you're ready to, you're chomping at the bit, you're ready to go, and I am too. And it's like, you know, you just sort of want to, you get into the spirit of resolutions and and, uh, figure out what, you know, what is 2020 going to have? And and I think that you're not going to be disappointed this morning by the challenge that we're going to, that I'm going to lay before you, because I have been praying and thinking about the message for today. Praying and thinking about the message for today and what God would have me share today. And um, because of that, you know, you, you're, you're, my mind is, is thinking, and probably for 14 years or 13 years um, of ministry, I've probably talked about resolu- you know, resolutions and, and those things specifically. And I'm, I'm a resolutions guy. I, I like that. I, I, I'm all for resolutions, you know, setting smart goals, making measurable goals, um, you know, all kinds of different types of goals. And you can go on the Internet. And you can find all that information. It's all out there. I believe that change is possible. Amen? Amen. I believe that change is possible. Um, I believe that in Christ, it's transformation that is most powerful. And so, you know, there are things that we can do that, uh, you know, in our flesh, but most importantly, it's we're wanting to see our our lives transformed through Jesus Christ. And so um, that is what it it is about. And there are tons of helps for resolutions um, that are out there for you. 
But um, as I was thinking about the message this morning, I was remembering the fact, and I think it's also sort of apropos this morning, that behind me is still the Christmas decor. Normally we would have changed it out by now. Okay? But I wanted the staff to rest. So we will change it this upcoming week. But um, it's apropos that we have Christmas behind me because I was thinking, you know, here we are, we, we've spent four weeks uh, in preparation for Christmas with the idea of Advent, and then on Christmas Eve we celebrated the coming of Christ, lighting the white candle, and we talked about Christ as come, Emmanuel, and so forth, and all those kinds of things. And so we have prepared, we realized that Christ has come, Christ has come, he's come to the stable, he's been in the manger, the baby is there, and it's like, now what do we do about it? Right? What are we going to do about it? Because a lot of times it's like, you know, we just ready to, let's, you know, let's get into the next idea. Well, the reality is, is that Christ has come. And because Christ has come, he has provided us blessings of salvation. He's provided for us forgiveness of sins. He's provided for us eternal life, hope, love, joy, peace, all those things that we've talked about throughout the Christmas season. And those things are all really so powerful and so meaningful in our lives. Something else that I realize is the fact that our lives are not all the same. We all sort of go through different storms. My uncle used to say, or my wife's uncle used to say this, he says, you're either going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Right? That's the way it is. And there's sort of this life cycle. It might be financial, it might be health-related, it might be emotional, it might be whatever it happens to be, and so that's going on. And so I realized this morning, as I stand before you, and prepare to minister to you that we're all in different places. 2019 may not have been an exciting year for you. 2020 may not be an exciting year for you. But together, we face it. We move forward trusting Jesus Christ. And we realize that because Christ is a constant reality, right? He has come, representing Christmas, he has come but our tomorrows are all defined by the realization that he has come. Right? Our tomorrows are defined by the realization that he has come. And so as we go into 2020, the realization that he has come then defines my hope for tomorrow and your hope for tomorrow. So the question becomes this, am I going to allow him to rule my life and thus bring the spirit of God into my personal life, my family life, and into my public life, right? And we're not just moving on from Christmas and going, okay, close the book, we're going to the next thing. No, it's a continuation, it's the next chapter. Because he has come, it is meaningful to my life, and it affects everything that I have to do, and so in that, it, it, it's, it fulfills, it's not, it doesn't just affect, but it fulfills everything that goes on in my life, and so it is significant. So, what I want to do is kind of walk through some things, and I probably should have turned this on a while ago. See, I'm rusty. I missed a Sunday. All right, so we're past that. Okay, so this is what I want to get to first of all, and that is this. Okay, because of Christmas, we realize that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is very much alive and very powerful. Can you say amen? Okay, he is very much alive and he is, in fact, very, very powerful. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we see that. This is what becomes established. Chapter 40 is a proclamation of the fact that the Lord is, in fact, alive and that he is full of power. So let's take a look at a couple of verses here. 
Verse 28 says, Do you not know and have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Can you say amen? amen. He gives strength to the weary. See, Jesus didn't stay in the manger. All right? Jesus did not stay in the manger. Many people who celebrate Christmas are content to pay their respects to Jesus in the manger, but they don't see Jesus as the bright future of today. Are you with me? They don't see Jesus as the bright future of today. They're missing out on a relationship with the Son of God and the Son of Man that you and I are enjoying today. We came together, we began to worship, we enjoyed fellowship. Uh, Even in the foyer at the very beginning, I saw smiles on people's faces as they came together. That's part of that, that relationship, that fellowship, the koinonia of relationship in Christ. And so that joy then transcends or transfers into the, into the worship and we begin to respond. Uh, we begin to respond vertically to, to the Lord as we begin to worship. And so in that, there's this like connection that's taking place. We open up the Word of God, and how many of you love the Word of God? We begin to get into the Word of God, and it begins to feed us. And we begin to feel that power coming into our lives. See, those that leave Jesus at the manger at Christmas, who leave him there and move on, are missing out on that vital relationship that you and I are enjoying today. You see, we are unique this morning as we come into 2020 and we open ourselves to the possibilities that are available to us in Jesus Christ. So as the new year was approaching, approaching I kept asking myself, I, I was like, you know, what, what, can I, what can I do this year in 2020? What, what can I do this year to, to really, that we can just grow, that I personally can grow, that we as a church can really grow in Christ, and so amazing things can begin to take place. And what I got from the Spirit was a response, and that response was, wait on me. Wait on me. And so I now take you to verse 31. Well, there's the last of 29. Verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Can you say amen? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew, shall renew their strength. Isn't that a wonderful promise? How many of you will receive that this year? And so what I want to spend the next few minutes on is this idea of the power of waiting on God. The power of waiting on God. You see, because waiting can seem awfully counterintuitive. It's like, wait a minute, it's January 1st. I need to be making resolutions. Not waiting doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? We, we, we think that we ought to be doing things like dieting, making budgets, um, running, joining charitable groups, whatever. We just think that we ought to be doing something as the new year begins. And I'm not saying you don't, but this is what we're thinking. So when we come across the word wait, it just doesn't seem to compute with us. It just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. So when I first heard the Spirit speak 
this to me. I was like, hey, okay, this is, this is good. And, and, and in my spirit, it settled. It was like, okay, this makes sense because I know that it just seems like the Lord wants me to spend more and more time with him. I understand that. I, I know that if I were to spend more time with him, he would speak more to me and, and there would be a, a greater dialogue and everything would be great and all that kind of stuff. And um, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a details guy. It's like, I, I'm ready to I'm task, you know, let's, let's task, let's do, let's, let's, let's do this. God, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I understand that, but, but I also got to get this, what's not going to get done if I'm doing? Is anybody with me this morning? And so there's kind of a struggle going on inside of me, and I think, and pre- I appreciate you raising your hands to identify with that, and... Um, you know, it was sort of like, how do I navigate this? You know, how do I, I know what you're saying, but how do I navigate that? How do I implement that into my life? And what I began to do is I began to study this word, began to study this verse, and specifically the idea of the verb of wait and what wait means. Because when I began to do that, it helped me to understand that I truly didn't understand what waiting means. So here's the definition. This is coming from the Hebrew word, which I'm going to slaughter, which is kavah, which I'm sure doesn't sound anything like that in Hebrew. Um, But wait means this, and it comes from a root meaning of twisting or winding a cord. Okay, so the root word, the the very beginning of it, comes from that twisting or winding a cord. It, It means to wait for, obviously, to wait for, or to hope for, or to look eagerly for, to lie and wait for, linger for, or to expect. And the basic idea is to wait for or to look for with eager expectation. Now this is kind of important right down here. The basic idea is to wait for or look for with eager expectation. It's not just simply sitting in a line. right? It's not just waiting for just for waiting's sake. It's not just kind of passing or biding the time by it is uh, allowing this weight to have actual purpose and intention in our lives. And the other thing that's important, too, is, is to understand this root meaning right here of twisting or winding a cord. And I want to spend some time talking about that in just a moment. So although my message this morning focuses primarily on waiting, I want you also to understand, remember, that Isaiah 40, okay, 30 is... is comes after 31, 28, 29, all the verses that are preceding that. And so this idea of waiting is preceded by the idea of the power of God. And then there's this transition that takes place, almost like a process that takes place with this waiting, and then there's a promise. Okay, so there's the power of God, there's this part, the waiting that takes place in our lives, and then there's this promise that explodes on the other side. And so this is what is going on with that. Okay, so the first thing that I want to help us understand is we should never confuse waiting with passivity. Okay, never confuse waiting with passivity. And the reason that I bring this up is because I go back to the root meaning of the word. Okay, it's this idea of the twisting or the winding of cords, the twisting or the winding of cords. Um, what exactly does that mean? Well, there's a scripture that would help us to understand that. It comes out of Ecclesiastes. You're probably familiar with it. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not, what? Quickly broken, 
right? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so this idea of winding or braiding, okay, or wrapping these cords together is, is what it means is it means strength. It has a purpose. It has a strengthening that is taking place in it. A couple days ago, we probably all have seen the, seen the news, but because of some of the events in the Middle East, Iraq specifically, we watched as some, uh, what was it, 350 or 750? 750 soldiers from the 82nd Airborne as they loaded up and headed into what's called CENTCOM. Right? They got loaded up and they were headed into CENTCOM. Our hearts go with them, our prayers go with them, their families were saddened by the fact that they have to go, but we're also grateful for the role that they play in protecting our nation. Now, do you think that those soldiers in the 82nd Airborne were unprepared? Uh-uh. Absolutely not. They may have been waiting. Are you hearing me? They may have been waiting, but they're prepared. Okay, those guys and those gals are ready to go. They are ready to go into combat. They're ready to go into the Middle East. See, they've not been just sitting around idly doing nothing. They have been training. While they have been waiting, they have been twisting and winding their cords together. See, they know how to communicate. They know how to lay down sectors of fire. They know how to identify the enemy. They know how to use their weapons and their tools, and they know how to defend their position, and they know how to destroy the enemy. But they've been waiting. But they have been twisting their cords, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, so that when they did get that phone call, they were ready to respond. You see, when God begins to speak to us about waiting, hoping or trusting, remember that in the background, there's always strengthening that is taking place. That's good, Pastor. You see, when there's waiting, when there's hoping, they're trusting, when those things are going on in your life, there's strengthening that is taking place in the background. And we need to remember that as we wait before the Lord. The second thing that we need to understand or that we get from this word, and we're really just kind of spending a lot of time talking about the, 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 the kevah, the, the Hebrew for wait, and... Um, the second thing that we need to understand is that we need to base our hope in Jesus in 2020. Base our hope in Jesus 2020. Now you may, you know, we know, Pastor, you said that back at Advent a few weeks ago. That's true, but there's a whole lot to be said about hope. And, you know, because the word keva can mean a lot of different things or connote a whole lot of different things, then um, different translations have all kinds of, you know, have, have different words that they tend to use. For example, the, the word in the NIV, Isaiah 40, 31 in the NIV doesn't use the idea of uh, hope, or the, the word hope, but what he uses, I'm sorry, doesn't use the word wait, but instead it uses the word hope. That would follow along with my sermon, right? Okay, so, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. Okay, but going back, it's this idea of hoping. This idea of hoping that we have in Jesus Christ. Those who hope in Jesus. Now we need to understand where the Israelites were at the time that Isaiah was given this prophecy. Now they were a displaced people. 
Okay, they were living in Babylon. Isaiah is preaching to them. They are not in their country. They're not where they want to be. All of the traditions, all the rules, all their experiences, all their, their memories, their historical family memories, because they've been displaced. I'm not sure exactly what the date, but in total they were displaced for 70 years. So you've got all these different things that are going on, and the generation preceding them is gone, and, but yet there's all these memories, there's these connections, and all that. And they're going, man, when can I get back? When can I get back to Jerusalem? When can I get back to my land? When can I get back to my vineyards? When can I get back to my farm? When can I get back to those things? And so they're hungry. They're, they're desiring. Someday, the prophets would promise to them, someday you will return to your home. That was the hope that they had. Now, here's the problem, is that sometimes what people mistake is they mistake this idea that because God is all-powerful, because God is who he is, because he's omnipotent, omniscient, all the omnis, because he's all of those things, right, he is removed from them. Right? He is removed from him or from them. It's sort of like a, uh, if, if, you, if you read many of the American founding writers they were theists, okay? they believed in God, but they didn't necessarily, all of them, believe in a personal relationship with him in a powerful way. Okay? So there's this sort of a theist idea that was out there. And so this people that we know, you know, they say, well, you know, I believe God exists, but he, he doesn't care about me. You know, I'm too small to be cared about by God or to be known by God. Sometimes these folks think that their worlds and everything that happens in their worlds, that they move and that they shake, but God doesn't know what's going on. What we understand is that God does understand what is going on. And those people that think of that, they think of the fact that if God is so big, then how can he understand me? How could he care about me? They couldn't be further from the truth. You see... Even in their captivity, even in Israel's captivity, God was concerned about them. He had a plan for them. See, hoping in God realizes that God knows, God cares, and God has a plan from you, for you, even if you are in captivity. Let's say that again. Some of your eyes are glazed over. <laughs> hoping in God realizes that God knows God cares, and God has a plan for you, even if you are in captivity. That's hard sometimes for us to hold on to when we're going through a hard time. We're like, man, you know, if God knew, my, my family wouldn't be suffering this way. You know, if God knew, then this wouldn't be happening. If, if, God, knew, if God knew, I wouldn't feel this way. If God knew, I wouldn't be, have been born perhaps, with this. And, and it just goes on and on. But the truth is that God does know, that God does have a plan, and that God does have a solution for us to bring us out of captivity. One Bible scholar talks about this idea of hoping in the Lord, and he points to, he says, this is a, this is a uh, maintaining a relationship. It's an ongoing relationship, this hoping it's not just idly hoping that you get the right numbers. You with me? Right? It's this hoping, it's saying, you know what? I'm hoping that the Lord comes this year, but if not, 
He's going to come next year. If not, he's going to come this next year. He's coming. I'm certain that he's coming. I just don't know that it's right now. But I'm hoping with a confidence, I'm hoping in a maintained relationship that he is, in fact, coming. And so I'm going to live as though he's coming today and continue to trust him. We're getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but this idea of renewing that he talks about here in this passage They will renew their strength. This renewing of strength is this idea of to continue to put on fresh, to continue to put on fresh. As I've been studying it, I just get this picture of the ocean. Just wave after wave after wave after wave after wave continues to renew the shore. It continues to renew the ocean. It continues to do all the processes. It continues to go. And it's like that. I, I think that when we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he does is he renews us afresh, renews us afresh, renews us afresh, renews us afresh, and he continues to show his mercy and his grace into our lives. See, I think we need to understand that anytime that we hope, we hope with expectation. We hope with an expectation. Which brings us to the next thing that this word means, this keva, this Hebrew word or phrase, waiting on the Lord, what it means. Some translate it to be trust. Trust. In the New Living Translation, it goes this way. It says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So in this one, it's, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Those who trust in the Lord will... I love the song uh, that we sing oftentimes. It says, uh, uh, and help me, Sonia, it, it was, uh, I thought the walls would come down by now. You know? Anybody familiar with that song? I may not have it perfectly, but that's the, con- that's the, the paraphrase, I guess. You know, I, I thought the walls would come down. How many of you live in, you know, you're thinking, Lord, I- I'm believing for something to take place in my life, but the walls haven't come down yet. You're marching around Jericho. You're on lap two, three, four, five, or six, and you're looking forward to seven. <laughs> when the walls finally come down. But you're trusting because God has in place something into your heart to say, hey, I'm believing that this is going to take place, and so I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm continuing in confidence, believing that he is going to do something amazing. Just a, a few minutes ago, I made the... Um, just, I said just a few minutes ago that we made a mistake when we think of the all-powerful God as too far removed from them to care. Okay? That's a mistake when we think that he's too far removed to even care. See, the reality is this. The right thing to understand is this, is that he is too great to fail. He is too great to fail. You see, there's never a time where things get out of control for God. Oh, I didn't see that happening, you know. So I don't know that I can fix that. No, not for God. He created everything. I mean, he knows exactly how things are. He knows how things began. He knows things, how, how things are going to end. Right? He's not caught off guard by anything. And so he continues to lead us and continues to direct us in so amazing ways. It's interesting, as you work your way through these verses, through 28, 29, 30, 31, 
that what you have is this, trans, this, this transition that takes place, and it goes from this, the power of being God, or this power exercised, to this idea of power imparted, okay? There's this waiting that takes place that we do in hoping and in trusting and believing and in strengthening, all these things that are going on as we're waiting. And so that takes place. And what ends up happening is that at the end, there's this promise that takes place. Okay, what is that promise? Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. How many of you would really enjoy some new strength in 2020? How many of you like this idea, this picture, this metaphor? They're going to soar high on wings like eagles. I'd love, you know, I just love watching a majestic eagle soar. I'd love to just be able to say, you know what, in my life, I just want to, I want to get above the storm. I just want to be able to glide through the air. I want to be the king of the air, right? Well, that's the promise that he gives us. They're going to, that we have this metaphor, that we have this ability in Christ, if we'll wait upon him, if we'll trust him, if we'll hope in him, if we'll prepare and be strengthened in him, that we're going to be able to enjoy those things, and we need to go on to the next promise, that they will run and not grow weary. Amen. Heard that from our runner this morning. And congratulations. Right? They will run and not grow weary. I remember there were days when I felt kind of like that. I don't never completely like that. I'd have to turn the clock back a lot of years for that. But you know, it, it was like to be able to run and, grow, uh, and not grow weary... And when we were up in uh, New Mexico, in Ruidosa, we were climbing the mountains. You know, Austin was like, let's go on a hike. Let's go up that, that mountain, and we'll go down that ridge and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going, oh, you know, I had jump, really jumped at that years ago, but okay, let's go do that. So we're walking up the hill, you know, and I'm like, we're at 8,000 feet. I'm going, breathe, 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 breathe. You know, just kind of walking through it. I'm like, man, this would be nice if I was just running up those hills. And I remember back in, you know, as a, as a teenager, we used to go up to the Adirondack Mountains around Memorial Day each year in high school, or a couple years in high school. My buddies and I, we were very active and playing all kinds of sports. And it was like, hey, there's Giant Mountain. Let's run up Giant Mountain. <laughs> Let's run down Giant Mountain. You know, you're like... Just a little bit of exhaustion, but it wasn't anything like walking 100 yards at 8,000 feet. So does it sound good to me to run and not grow weary in the promise that he's given if I'll wait on him because God is so awesome and he's so powerful? Absolutely. What a wonderful, wonderful promise that is. A woman by the name of Annie Johnson Flint. She didn't seem to be a woman that would inspire others to really trust in God. She was really, uh, she was really dealt a bad deal from birth. She began life without her biological parents. And after grade school, she went and she became a teacher, had a bright future, but unfortunately, two years into her teaching experience, she developed crippling arthritis, which put her into a wheelchair. The rest of her life, she would spend in the wheelchair living at Clifton Springs Sanatorium, which I think is near Syracuse. Clifton Springs Sanatorium. While she was there in her crippled state, she began to write songs and poetry. Can you imagine living with those type of circumstances and how you begin to respond is by writing songs and hymns and poetry. So she 
wrote the following poem, but I think understanding her story makes this poem even more significant. Here's what she writes. This is a short little poem. It's called The Red Sea Place. The Red Sea Place. She says, Have you come to the Red Sea Place in your life where in spite of all that you can do, there is no way out, there's no way back, there's no way other but through? Then wait upon the Lord with a trust serene Till the night of your fear is gone, he will send the wind, he will heap the floods when he says to your soul, go on. Amazing. You see, what do we do when we come to the Red Sea place in our own lives? Do we surrender? No. Do we go down to the HEB and pick up half a gallon of ice cream and sit in you know, your pajamas on and just go, mm-mm-mm-mm? No. Do we get it curl up into the fetal position and go, oh, 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 help me. How am I going to make it through? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? No. What we do is we wait expectantly for the Red Sea to begin to open up and for the Red Sea to begin to be a dry highway for us to cross and a graveyard for the enemy to follow. I thought you'd be more excited about that. (laughs) You stay there with your blue bell, they're going to kill you. That's funny, but it's real. I can't tell you how many veterans are sitting in their mama's and daddy's basements watching video games because they're in a fetal position because they've not been able to move on. How many other people have been thrown difficult situations and they've surrendered to it instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord to open up the Red Sea to become a highway for them and a graveyard for the enemy that follows? The last is this. is simply the word being the word. Keva meaning wait. Wait on Jesus in 2020. We've talked about active waiting. We've talked about hoping. We've talked about trusting So here's just the simplest idea, and that is just simply to wait. Most of us can quote the scripture from the King James. Those of you know, it says, "Wait upon the Lord," right? Wait upon the Lord. And so we're very, very familiar with that. I like the Message translation because in the Message translation it says, "For even young people tire and they drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall." But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. Can you say amen? Amen. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Getting fresh strength. Spreading their wings. Running and not being tired. Not being lagging behind. And the idea of waiting runs throughout the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have verses like this in Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Another one, Psalm 37, verse 34, hope in the Lord, which is the same Hebrew word, kevah, right? Hope or wait in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. Again, Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope, I wait for the Lord. Can you feel the, the earnest in the scriptures as we're looking at them? 
It's an expectation. It's not, I've given up and surrendered and I'm sitting at a, you know, road stop along the way. Saying, I'm waiting because I've got something coming. I know something's coming. I've got something coming. And you've got something. We've got something coming in 2020. I said, I also mentioned that the idea of transcendent goes into the New Testament as well. And so in the New Testament, in the Septuagint, which is the earliest Greek translation of the entire Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, the same Hebrew word is translated into the New Testament. It shows this continual relationship of patiently remaining or abiding. And so that's kind of interesting because Luke chapter 18, there's a story that Jesus gives, a parable of a woman that continues to go before a judge. She has, she's pleading her case before this judge, but the judge is an unjust judge. And so the judge initially says no. She goes back and she says, look, here's my case. She presents it again, she presents it again, she presents it again, until finally the judge says, you know what, I'm sick and tired of you coming into my court. I'm just going to give you, you know, rule in her favor. So he does that. Now Jesus gives the parable with a, with a point, and that point is this persistence. So let me see if I have it up here. Where are we? So here's what the Lord responds to her. This is come out of Luke 18. It says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Now, you've got to remember, this is a parable. This wasn't a true story. Jesus was teaching it to make a point. The point was persistence. Be persistent. Be persistent. Be persistent. And he says, and then the Lord himself, Jesus says, look, I'm going to tell you the meaning. He says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so what's kind of, I think, is interesting is right in here. I tell you, he will see that they will get justice and quickly. In other words, continue to trust. Continue to hope. Continue to hope. Or continue to wait expectantly knowing that God is good and that God is just. Continue to pray. Continue to sit. Continue to wait on him. Continue to um, just lay yourself before the Lord. And so that is one occasion in the New Testament where this same idea takes place. The, the, the question becomes, are we willing to wait? Are we willing to wait? One final verse from the New Testament, or passage from the New Testament, Second Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed. Think of that ocean, the waves. We are being renewed day by day. I'm getting older, I'm getting older, but wait, something spiritually is taking place in my life. I'm being renewed spiritually because of that. So there is this renewal that's taking place. In verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Not what I'm seeing in the physical or the natural. Well, what's happening in the spiritual? What is the Lord speaking to us? What is he challenging you and I to do? So we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what we see or what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So I leave you with this as I conclude. 
And I want to leave you with a practical exercise as we begin 2020. And that is this. I want you to recalibrate. I want us to recalibrate. Now back in September, we introduced it for the first time. And this was the idea of simply, and, and in terms of what I just preached, waiting on the Lord, exercising the spiritual disciplines in our lives of praying, waiting, fasting, getting one-on-one with God, isolation, just kind of getting ourselves to hear what the Lord is speaking and just saying, hey, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? And we're really going to target this first week, okay, this first week to recalibrate. There's going to be some help that I'm going to provide for you on uh, Facebook, for those that are on Facebook, and uh, perhaps the website, uh, the, uh, the webpage, but also you can go to ag.org. They've got all kinds of prayer helps that are there for you. Jensen Franklin is a great teacher on, on prayer and fasting as well. I encourage you to go there. This past week while I was watching um, briefly the um, New Year's Eve ceremony, you know, the Times Square, the ball drop, and I was asking everybody in my room, who are these entertainers? And they're going, this is uh, Twitch or somebody. And I'm like, who's that? Anyway, while I was watching that, they were explaining briefly this idea of the ball, why it drops down from the top of that, that building. They said that uh, the reason was that the year it was built, he wanted to have a big celebration on New Year's. And so he intended to have fireworks, but the city had banned fireworks that year. So he said, okay, what we'll do then is I'm going to make this giant ball we're going to light it up, and it's going to be as though it were fireworks, and it's going to come down. And then they made a mention of a thing called time balls. And I was like, what in the world? Never heard of that before. Right? What is that? So I looked it up. And this is what the scholarly, scholarly journal Wikipedia said. It said, the actual notion of a ball dropping to signal the passage of time dates long back before the New Year's Eve was ever celebrated in Times Square. The first time ball was installed atop England's Royal Observatory at Greenwich in 1833. This ball would drop at 1 o'clock every afternoon, and it would allow the captains of the ships to set their chronometers to perfect time. And then from that, they'd be able to go throughout the world based on perfect time, and then they would recalibrate each time that they would return back to Greenwich. So around 150 public time balls are believed to have been installed around the world after the success at Greenwich. Though few survive and still work, the tradition is carried on today in places like the United States Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., where a time ball descends from a flagpole at noon each day and, of course, once a year in Times Square where it marks the stroke of midnight not just for a few ship's captains but for over a billion people around the world. We've probably heard of Greenwich Mean Time which is the starting point for our measurement of daily time. It's interesting to learn that throughout the world, time is synchronized by this ball dropping down and the ships locking it into their chronometer. What I want us to do is to recalibrate by waiting on the Lord and take some time out this week. I challenge you, fast, pray, turn the electronic devices off, If it's not encouraging, if it's not uplifting, then turn the thing off. 
Get into a book, get into the Word of God, turn on some praise and worship, and begin to really recalibrate this week as we wait upon the Lord. Because I believe that as we get into Vision 2020, that God's got some amazing things for us. But we need to wait upon the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we conclude. And I just want us to, I'm going to pray a prayer over us of, of just simply sort of a, of a commitment that we're going to make before the Lord. That as a church that we will wait on him, that we will recalibrate and see what he wants to do in our lives. So Lord, we come to you right now and we thank you, O oh God, for the word that you have brought to us this first Sunday of 2020. Lord, we hear in our spirits and we accept, O oh Lord, that you want us to wait on you. But Lord, we also know that you want to do some amazing things through that waiting. You are an amazing God, Lord, and as we wait upon you, I pray, O oh God, that our strength would be renewed. Lord, that we would mount up with wings as eagles, and we would run and not grow weary, that we would not faint, O oh God. Lord, I pray for each individual here this morning, O oh God, that they would say to this challenge, I'm going to take it on, I'm going to go for it. And that, Lord, we know, we trust, we hope, we wait expectantly knowing that you're going to change us. And we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you'd like prayer, come on up to the front. Love to pray with you. Great way to start off the new year. God bless you. It's so good to see you today. Be blessed and be looking for great things in 2020 in your life and here in the church at Grace Chapel.